it's so like normal to <laughs> have a bright blue house in the middle of the woods. You're listening to Happy Vermont, a podcast about people and places in the Green Mountain State. On a dirt road in the tiny town of Goshen is a place where Tony Clark decided to purchase a rundown farm and eventually become an innkeeper. The color of the inn is a bright yet soothing shade of blue that's hard to forget. The place is legendary, and the same can be said for Tony. He was born in Wales in the UK and grew up in France. Tony found his way to Vermont in the late 1960s, buying a farm in the middle of nowhere on the Goshen-Ripton Road, and he would later turn that into the Blueberry Hill Inn and Cross Country Ski Center. Over the years, one of his greatest legacies was helping to establish the 16,000-acre Muslimu National Recreation Area in 2007. Tony passed away a year ago in March of 2022. I recently met with his daughter, Britta, who grew up at the inn and is now working on her PhD at Harvard. She's also helping to run the property's cross-country ski center, which is now called the Blueberry Hill Outdoor Center. The center offers about 35 kilometers of trails for cross-country skiing, snowshoeing, hiking, mountain biking, and trail running. There are no fees as the center is run with help from volunteers and donations to help keep the trails accessible to the public. Here's Britta talking about Blueberry Hill and her father, Tony. I mean, I think it was a pretty amazing, strange but amazing upbringing and didn't feel maybe as rural or isolated as you might think just because I was in the inn all the time. So I've realized now that I have no distinction between public and private because my whole life was just someone that you've never met comes into while you're having dinner and you like invite them in and have dinner with them or like give them a room at the inn and you know you're constantly being interrupted by that sort of thing for better or for worse but I think it was great I mean I got to like encounter so many different people growing up and just you know kind of had free reign of the place like I think at times the the inn guests were uh sort of impromptu babysitters, you know, I'd just be let loose and in guests would find me in their room or I'd I'd hide under the couch and <laughs> and play spy while they were uh, having conversations, that sort of thing. So yeah, I think it was a pretty amazing place yeah. to grow up. That's so interesting too, what you say about kind of the public-private distinction, you know, are you very comfortable around kind of people you don't know? I think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think... Definitely more so later in life, like time to myself. But I think, yeah, I have a pretty high tolerance for being around like a lot of different people and definitely something I got from my dad. I've, I've been called a serial over-inviter. <laughs> so, you know, I invite 50 different people to some gathering and they don't all know each other. And then it's this dance of trying to get them to meet and have the conversation sort of flourish between different people. And so I think that's probably a skill that I like sort of inherited just like growing up here. Yeah. I didn't do a ton of like serving and stuff at the end growing up, but I remember talking with my dad about how like you walk into the dining room when people are about to eat and they are very awkward and they don't know where to sit. So they all stand around the table and they kind of just start looking at each other. And you have to do this work of like, 
okay, you guys sit down. And then like all the meals, except during COVID, are at these like long family style tables. So it's people who've never met each other that are just across the table there. And you kind of have to force them to talk to each other, even if they're like a little bit awkward. Right. So. Was your dad, he probably put people at ease or got them to laugh or something. I mean, he made some people uncomfortable, but he, <laughs> he, yeah, I think for the most part, he uh, sometimes his British humor would confuse people. But, you know, 80 percent of the time it, it made people laugh. Yeah. He would always say uh, the key is to put them in a conversation and then walk away, which, you know, was aggravating at times because sometimes I was the person who had to talk to the guest and I didn't want I had to do homework or whatever it was. But he was very good at finding a connection between two other people and then letting that sort mm. of grow and like removing himself. So he came to the U.S. in 1964, I believe. He got a teaching job. No qualifications for this, but <laughs> he got a job teaching French at um, Eagle Brook Academy, I believe it was called. His brother was over actually at Harvard on doing a PhD, I think. And his brother went and was the the proxy for him at the interview <laughs> and somehow convinced them that uh, he was worthy of teaching French to high schoolers. So I think he was 20 or 21 at that time. So he came over and was coaching soccer and teaching French. And I believe it was there that he met his first wife, Martha. And all of this would be taken with a grain of salt because Tony often embellished his stories. But I, I think they were driving through, maybe Martha found it, but as he tells it, they were driving through Vermont countryside and happened upon Goshen and this sort of falling down farm, Blueberry Hill Farm. And... I don't quite know his reasoning, but they decided to buy it and <laughs> start a farm. So that's sort of the, the start of the origin story, I guess. And so that was like 1969, 1970, somewhere around there? I think around there, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah. And then the, the outdoor center itself was sort of born in 71. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So he built the trail system that you have here. You have like 35 kilometers or so of trails. Mm -hmm. yeah. Your dad? He would say 50, but he would say 50. <laughs> 35. And so did he build most of those trails? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm sure he recruited some labor uh, along the way. But as the story goes, he was working for a, um, he was a ski rep basically for different like L.O. Bean or REI, but he didn't know much about skiing. He just sort of happened upon this job while they were trying to like sort of maintain this farm with like goats and chickens and stuff. The way he tells it is he had a conversation with Johannes von Trapp and Johannes was like, you should start a cross country ski area. <laughs> so I guess he, you know, don't tell the forest service, but went out and uh, just put some ribbons up in the woods and then started sort of slowly cutting the trails. And eventually they did find out about that and we're not that happy, but he, uh, spoke with them more and then they sort of agreed to this partnership where Blueberry Hill will build and maintain the trails on mostly Forest Service land and some on, on our land. So I think Von Trapp was the, the inspiration. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. And was your dad a big cross-country skier or was he like a big kind of out in the woods kind of guy? When he bought the farm, 
now the inn and outdoor center, he didn't know anything. You know, he loves to tell the story of when he had all the in-laws over and uh, the pipes burst and he had no idea what to do and didn't even know pipes could burst. And so I think it was over the course of his life, he became more into the outdoors. And then he had my half brother. So his son with his first wife, Chris, we call him Flash. (laughs) Chris Flash was really into Nordic skiing. So I think with Flash, he sort of grew into the sport and I'm always surprised to see pictures of him sort of crushing it on skis because he didn't ski that much while I was growing up, but he would get out there and mostly he just like rang the bell at races and sort of encouraged other people to ski, but I know he also loved it. So Yeah. What's the age difference between you and Flash? Oh, gosh. Uh, He's probably late 40s. Okay. Yeah. So I'm almost 30. So Okay. Trails were already here by the time you were born, but did you spend a lot of time out in the woods, you know, helping maintain trails or maybe building new ones? Was that part of your childhood? I definitely spent a ton of time just like roaming them. I didn't love skiing until I was maybe 11 or 12 or like I wasn't out running them, that's for sure. But (laughs) and he would take me out a bunch on the on the four wheeler or on the ATV. I do remember falling off of the ATV once, which was... (laughs) So I don't, my memories are not of actually performing the labor, but more sort of sitting on the, the ATV and eating snacks. Um. <laughs> Did you like being out there in the woods? I think. I think I loved it. So your dad passed away almost a year ago, and you've described your dad already quite a bit. How else would you describe him? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the main thing is that like, sort of love of bringing people together. And I think it comes with a a kind of openness where he, I think more than his time would like, he would talk to anyone. He would often tell me like, I can find a connection, find something to talk about with anyone. And it's just about digging in a little bit. That's quite a skill. Yeah. And I think, you know, some people it takes a little more digging and some people especially I think like in later years are less comfortable with that sort of digging that he would, he would do, but he was really good at it and and good at making people feel, feel comfortable and finding that little thing. He was like, some, everyone has something that they like will talk about for hours and I just want to find it. And then he would talk about himself for hours. (laughs) There was a bit of back and forth, you know, since he, passed away, has your role here changed or expanded? You run the Outdoor Center? Like, how would you describe your role here now? So I'm basically the leader, I guess the president, that's a weird word, but of the board. Historically, the Outdoor Center and the Inn were sort of one entity. But three or four years ago, we made the Outdoor Center, a nonprofit. So now we can apply for various grants and take donations and that sort of thing. So I am involved at the board level. And that means a lot of things. It's like organizing trail work days, you know, applying for grants, organizing volunteers. We just had a, a pizza and skiing day, that sort of thing. And also just like trying to think about the long-term future of the outdoor center and the inn, which is always kind of unevolving and like difficult 
thing to think through. It's definitely changed in the sense that, like, my dad was, he did all the trail work himself. Like, he was out there most days puttering around or doing useful things. <laughs> so that's something I don't think I realized. Like, after he died, I was like, oh, wow, like, he was doing a lot out there every day. And, like, definitely feels like that's fallen on me in a way that's, like, a little scary, but also exciting to be able to, like, try and carry that on. So we've kind of gotten a new group of volunteers that are really excited about trail work days. And we have a listserv so people can, if they just go out with their like loppers or whatever, they can write and say, hey, I did this. And we can like recognize that and know how the trails are doing. So trying to sort of take the, take some of the energy and like build a community around keeping the trails. And there's a lot of a lot of energy for that after Tony's passing, too. So I bet. Right now, you're based in Portland, Maine, and you come here. It's President's <laughs> Weekend, so you're here. You were yeah. here at Christmas. You're here, like, on a busy ski weekend, and you come back in the summer. Mm-hmm. So a little bit about your background. I read that you studied at Bates. That's right, yeah. And you completed a Fulbright scholarship in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And now you're working on your PhD in philosophy at Harvard. <laughs> it's incredible. And you're focusing on intergenerational justice. So can you talk a little bit about what that is? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the whole dissertation. But <laughs> um, actually, it's maybe only part of it. I think now my work has shifted a little bit towards thinking about justice in the energy transition, where like intergenerational justice is one part of that. But the basic idea behind intergenerational justice is the way I like frame it is it's asking about what sort of policies or norms or like institutions we should put in place now to treat people that come after us fairly. So climate change is sort of a paradigm example of failing to do that. You know, another example might be letting these trails, you know, get overgrown But yeah, those sorts of questions are Mm. a big piece of the dissertation. Right. Well, it's such an interesting, I think the first time I read about you was in Vermont Sports Magazine a few years ago and reading about your academic path and what you're researching just stood out to me. It was, sounded very interesting. Has, do you think you're growing up here or maybe your dad or your mom like influenced that path at all? I think the topic was... Very much so. There's not a like direct line of like, I want to study this because, but I think like the thinking about the, the like long-term thinking that is very present in all of my dissertation as it stands now, I think probably was inspired or motivated by my dad and this place in general. So he was a big proponent of like leaving a legacy, you know, and he talked about his biggest wish being leaving this place for future generations. So hard to know, but I suspect that 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 sort of mindset that he had sort of like influenced the content of what I study now. So, And speaking of legacies, a, a huge legacy of your dad's was helping to establish the Musulamu National Recreation Area in 2007. 
And for those listening who don't know what it is, this is beautiful area it includes, you know, hiking trails and camping areas and cross-country ski trails and Goshen and Ripton and Middlebury and Brandon. Why do you think that endeavor was so important to him? Yeah, I mean, I think, A, he just loved these trails so much. I agree. He really thought that was sort of an under-discovered and underutilized, intensely beautiful place. You know, maybe he knew deep down that, like, neither of my brother or I really wanted to, like, run the inn, and he was worried about that or something. And he, he's, like, definitely a man who wanted to leave his mark. So mm -hmm. I think he was like, this is the, the central way that I want to do that, is making sure that these forests are protected. What do you think the land here meant to your dad? I mean, yes, he wanted to have it used for future generations. You know, he wanted to protect it or keep it open to the public. But is there anything else? Like, did he ever talk to you about, the, I don't know, the connection he felt to the trails or the woods? Or He wasn't like the most emotionally open and eloquent guy. You know, he had a bit of British. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, some of what I say about him is is surmised, but I don't know that he ever would have said this, but I, I think he just kind of felt a sense of, of peace out there. Yeah, I think just like hearing him talk about, you know, being out late on the the groomer or being out on the trails and like the fact that he still just was doing that every day, like, you know, till a month before he passed, probably even later than that. I'm not quite sure how he would articulate it, but that it brought him a sort of solace or peace. Yeah. What about you? I mean, I think it's probably similar. Thinking about my, <laughs> the academic side of my brain is sort of always on and super analytical and growing up here at the inn is sort of maintained a general, my brain is always like, well, there's something else to do, <laughs> you know, whether it's washing more dishes or like there's always a plate to move or a door to close or something to sweep. But I think like when I get out for a run or a ski or whatever, it's like my moment to sort of quiet my brain a little bit. And Goshen is the, I guess it's the smallest town in Addison County. And I think the population is something like 227 people. Yeah. Something like that. Does that sound about right? I think so. Yeah. We used to always joke that it's like when my brother and I would leave for <laughs> for like, you know, whatever school that we we took away like 50% of the under 20, 25 population. <laughs> yeah. 220 sounds about right. Something yeah. Like I guess how would you describe Goshen? I mean, I think it's, and this is, I think, a good and a bad thing about Goshen. Sometimes it's a lot of people who do want a lot of solitude. So more and more so it has like a vibrant community feel, but I think that's recent as more young people have been moving into the area. I guess just like thinking back, maybe that's been a, a sort of tension for a while. I remember my dad talking about how when he first started like throwing, cause they threw some big Nordic ski events in the seventies the American Ski Marathon, that sort of thing. People in the town were not particularly happy, so he started, like, free ski clinics and rentals for, like, Goshen Town residents and that sort of thing. So I guess I think that sort of 
tension maybe has remained for a while. And But I think the town is also developing like a vibrant and younger community who are excited about events like that. But I don't want like Blueberry Hill to become at odds with the town of Goshen or a massive place. So I think that's always something on my mind is mm. is making sure that it's primarily for local people and not just a, a destination or a, yeah, a place for out-of-towners. So we right. hope that part of the reason we do it's just like donation only for skiing and that sort of thing is we just want it to be really, really accessible even if you're not coming to spend money on your ski vacation so right was this place named blueberry hill when your dad got here or did he name it it was named blueberry hill so the previous owners had a restaurant so there's a cookbook from that restaurant floating around it was blueberry hill Mm -hmm. farm cookbook did the name come from anything i suspect it's just because of the the wild blueberries on on hogback okay yeah. oh, that's um, which nice. is like a two kilometer walk from here there's a on the south side of hogback there's a bunch of wild blueberry like low low bushes that are are pretty delicious in the summer so yeah i'm sure and how long did your dad have was he farming here before he decided to you know open the inn and met the von traps and yeah took that I don't know that it was like a decision. (laughs) There was no one moment. There was no business plan. I'll put it that way. I think what happened was it kind of started. Originally, the the Nordic skiing was out of the blacksmith shop over there. And I think people just came. I wish I could ask him because that's a good question. Like how it sort of (laughs) became what it is in terms of that transition. But I think that people would come to ski and at first it was like friends and friends of friends and then they were all staying over and it was like this is kind of a lodge like we should be charging these people and then it it sort of just took off from there um and they transitioned to having like a proper inn and dining room farmhouse tables and and put the the addition so it was just four or five rooms for a while and then later on they added another six or seven okay yeah and the color of the building i mean it's this blue that (laughs) i don't even know what kind of blue it is but was it painted that color when he arrived or did he i don't think so there's some very old photographs of the place yeah and so i suspect that that was a that's a great question. Who uh, who decided, decided and whether there was any uh, contestation about the, the radical color? I don't know what color it, it is exactly. Is it like a, it's not a turquoise, but I yeah, don't know. It's like blue with a hint of turquoise. Yeah. yeah. Depending on how recently we've painted it, it's, it slightly <laughs> varies, but. <laughs> but yeah, that, you know, that color. Yeah. That's funny. I hadn't even thought about it being like striking. It's just so like normal to. <laughs> have a bright blue house in the middle of the woods. (laughs) (laughs) We just love more people to come up and enjoy the trails. And if people are interested in like getting involved with trail work or that sort of thing, they should definitely reach out. And it's a very special place. So would love to see as many people enjoy it as possible. And I think that's 
where my, my heart is at at the moment. You can learn more by visiting blueberryhilltrails.com. Thanks for listening to Happy Vermont. I'm Erica Housekeeper. This is my 50th podcast episode, which is hard to believe. In light of that, I decided to start a new Patreon account for Happy Vermont to help offset production and editing costs. If you'd like to join, you can sign up and receive Happy Vermont stickers, merchandise, and extra content. And if you sign up, I would be incredibly grateful for your support. You can visit my website, happyvermont.com, for more details. If now isn't a good time, of course, leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or send me an email at hello at happyvermont.com. And let me know what you love most about Vermont. Thanks so much for listening. Take care and talk to you soon.